Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another week of Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles, where we will ramble on about music trivia, new music, random stuff in between the color of grace's hair yes and and all, all sorts of things all sorts of things and um yeah if you like our podcast because hopefully you do and this isn't the first episode that you've listened to i um, think if they're this far in they, they like it well they might you know they might mean? have just stumbled across us you yeah, see grace maybe. so that's maybe. why i always explain what, what it is um Basically, I'm Angela from Bug Eye, and I'm joined this week with Grace from Bug Eye. Mm-hmm. We've each come armed with a story from rock or pop uh, about like a legend from music. We will we'll talk about that, we'll discuss it, but we also bring along some new music. And uh, yeah, there's normally drinking involved. Um, last episode, I did get a little bit too drunk, I think, probably. Rambled a bit, but... Uh, but yeah, if you do like the podcast and you've got a story you want us to cover, you can email us at bugeyes. No, you can't. The email address, stay, say that again, is rockpoprambles at gmail.com. And that's if you've got new music you want us to have a listen to or a story you want us to cover. Um, we're also on Patreon with loads of bonus content, uh, podcasts, behind the scenes stuff, photos, um, exclusive music and things like that. So go patreon.com slash bugeye and you'll find us there. I think that's all the housekeeping stuff. I think so. I think you ticked everything off the list. There. Yeah, a friend of mine is a, a podcaster and they were saying that I always leave that stuff to the end um, and just put it at the beginning. But my 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 response to her was, do you not think people listen to the end then? Do they just get bored? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's nice to get it out of the way, isn't it? So you can get relax. it out of the way. Get it out of the way. There will be a little bit of background noise because we're in isolation, and I'm recording with Julia, who I oh, was Julia is, there, is she? Julia is here, and I can Hello, just Julia. hear her using the tap in the utility room because she's watering the plants in the garden. Oh, bless her! Right now, good old Julia. Yeah. So um, you might hear some sounds like that. Um, she just said sorry. Anyway, so you've you've brought Grace. You've brought actually. Let's let's step back. I mentioned your hair. You've got new hair. I have got new hair. Yeah, thanks for noticing. Yeah, I'm very very pleased with it. I wasn't sure at first, but uh, I'm quite happy with it now. The two tone. But uh, would you like to to describe your 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 barnet right now? I can do for you. Yeah, I've gone uh, half pink, half orange. So one side of my head is pink, and the other is orange. So I wasn't, yeah, it was a bit of a, I thought, because I'm in lockdown, I can take these risks. So, <laughs> no one's going to have to see it. <laughs> and I'm quite pleased with it. I think it might be the new me. Well, I think I think it looks good. Thanks, Angela. I, I think, think Hayley Williams had a hair like this once. Did I you? didn't know that when I did it. I found that out afterwards. Which, uh... <laughs> and then, then as I look over your shoulder, I see, I see a shrine to a person. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I didn't copy her for anyone who starts accusing me. <laughs> I don't think you can copyright hair, thankfully. So no, you I can't. Can you? I think you're okay. I'm safe. Um, so we're going to start off with some new music, and I think Grace, it's your turn to go, I first? go first. Yeah. Okie dokie. Right. So today we've got the fabulous Hawks, who we've played with. Can you remind me when that was, Angela? Because it was. I, 
You know what? Have we... I don't know if we did play a film, if we just know, know them. Um, really, I feel yeah, like I mean, we must have played with them at some point because we've seen them so often. But maybe you're right because I remember they were at Camden Rocks. Yeah, we went and along we, and saw them at Camden Rocks. Yeah, they were they were they were brilliant. Uh, maybe we haven't played with them then. We, we all sort that out. Kind of know all the same people, so we see Anna out quite a lot. Um, so they uh, have a new EP that was released on uh, the seventh of May, and this is the first single from their EP called Deadlands. So this is what the band have to say about the song. So when something has consumed you to the point you feel you can't come back from it, Deadlands is a place where you can take that toxicity and destroy it. Toxicity, did I say that right? Yeah, I think so. I think I did, didn't I? You know, you're asking me. (laughs) (laughs) You know when you say something out loud for the first time? Yeah. And you're like, oh. No, 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 that's right. I I think that was right. But yeah. Should we have a listen? This is Deadlands.
So that was Deadlands by Hawks. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter at, at Hawks Music. So that's H-A-W-X-X Music. I've just noticed because I can see myself on Zoom. Obviously, it's one of those really annoying things. And the top I'm wearing is stripy and there's a weird shadow and it looks like I've just spilt loads of water. Is down. that? Oh, I can't see that my end. No, I can see. Yeah, it looks like just, Oh my God, I look really sweaty. Oh, it's hang just, on. Now not... you've said it. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I it can moves. see it now. It moves. Yes. It's not. I what was that, Julia? That. I think it was wine that you spilt down your pants. It's yeah, not it wine. looks like wine to me, oh, to be honest. God. God. God, Julia. Okay. Well, um, who are you talking about this evening, Grace? I am talking about Wendy Carlos. Okay. And I'm talking about Devo. You know a lot about Devo, where my knowledge is a little patchy, let's no, say. No, to be honest, Angela, I used to be obsessed with Devo years ago. I haven't actually listened to them for quite a long time, and I've probably forgotten quite a lot about them. So it'd be a nice little refresher, this will. Okay, well, I'm going to get stuck into this. And I'm kind of covering a bit of a darker edge Ooh. to them. So so for those that don't know, Devo, as Wikipedia says, um, <laughs> originally Devo is an American rock band from Ohio formed in 1973. Would you call them a rock band? They're not, they're not really. They're like, they're like proto-punk, aren't they? Yeah. Really, is what they are. Not, so, yeah, not, that rock isn't what would come to mind. But, um, but that's what it says officially. Yeah. Um, but Devo's known for their music and stage shows, mingling sort of kitsch science fiction themes yeah. with deadpan, surrealist humour um, and, and social commentary. But do you know how they formed? I, the th- this is what, from what I remember, there was, because um, they went to Kent State University. Didn't ah, they? you know this then. Right. And there was a, sh- yeah, go on, you, you, t- yeah. I was hoping you'd go, no, enlighten <laughs> me. <laughs> no, no so, um, so we're going to go back a little bit to founding members, Jerry and Bob, um, mm-hmm. who sound like children's characters from some sort of show. Jordan Bob, Jerry and Bob. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Didn't they go on to write music for kids' TV? One of them yeah, did they anyway. Did. Might, they did. Jerry and, oh, yeah, go on. At Rugrats. Rugrats. Jerry did, yeah. Or was it Bob? Oh, I can't remember. I can't anyway, remember, but I that's know one another of show. Yeah. And um, that's, that's <laughs> our kids' show that we do with, um, with Jerry and Bob, although one of them's died since this. So, well, not since this show, but. <laughs> <died>. <laughs> Within the last five minutes. <laughs> Just got a hotline to Depot <laughs> and their members. <laughs> oh. Oh my god! Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> right. Okay. So, I'm looking at founding members um, Jerry and Bob, um, and their experience at um, Kent State University, uh, which was something that was truly disturbing, tragic, and terrifying, and shocking to say the least. Something that would make history, but not in a good way. So it was 1970. Nixon was in power in the USA. The Vietnam War was in full swing. It'd been announced on TV that the plan was to expand the involvement of the of sorry the involvement of the Vietnam into neutral Cambodia. So obviously this wasn't something that was was going down particularly well in America anyway. And so the the news of expansion just basically meant that people took to the streets and there were protests and um, all sorts of things going on. Um, but one week later after that announcement, on the 4th of May, some 300 students gathered to protest on campus at Kate State, Univer- Kate State, 
Kent State University. And what would go down would mark the first time that a student had been killed in an anti-war rally in United States history. The event would be known as the Kent State Massacre. And I would like to just thank um, my favourite murder podcast for ah. giving me the idea to cover this because they oh, really? covered... Oh, really? Is that where you got it from? I did wonder. Yeah, no, they, they covered the um, Kent State Massacre. Okay. Um, like that detail. And at the end, they mentioned the Devo connection. And yeah. I thought, oh, Devo. And yeah, yeah so nice. I thought I'd cover a little Good bit job. of this and then I'll go into Devo. So basically, on the 4th of May 1970, military forces as well as the National Guard assembled to take action against the unarmed students. Um so basically, they decided to try and disperse the crowds um, at the beginning. Um, and this was sort of like in late morning. They had like a patrolman called Harold Rice, who was riding in on his horse. Um, and, and basically, students started throwing rocks at him. Um, I didn't know so that they, Yeah, so basically, the protesters responded by throwing rocks and striking one of the campus patrolmen and forcing the jeep to retreat. So that's when more of the guards and um, military forces started to arrive. And so just before noon, um, the guards returned. And again, they tried to disperse the crowd. Um, but the crowd were just sitting there. They, they, would just, they would not move. And so the guards decided to use tear gas on the, the students. But it was quite a windy day. And so the, the tear gas had very little effect. And the crowd was still there. And this is when things started to get... Not just a little dark, Mm. but very dark and disturbing. They basically, the National Guard troops, um, with fixed bayonets on their M1 rifles, began to advance upon the hundreds of protesters. So basically, fucking long knives on (laughs) guns started charging at students. Um, So as as the guardsmen advanced, um, the protesters retreated up and over Blanket Hill heading to a sort of common area where there was a car park. But once over the hill, the students, um, they kind of, they weren't in such a, a big mass. They'd kind of sort of split and, and divided among among the sort of grounds there. But what they found was that actually guards were still there. Um, they were at the top. They were chasing after them. They were surrounded and there was nowhere they could go. Um, and in the span of 13 seconds, 28 National Guard soldiers decided to fire 67 rounds in unison at the unsuspecting crowds. Four students were killed and nine others were injured, one of whom suffered permanent paralysis. Um, Now, what some of the reports say is no one actually knows who gave the command to do that or why suddenly that started happening. Because at this point, those students were actually really scared. They'd, They'd seen what was happening. They ran. They were surrounded. They were, you know, unable to escape and then they were shot at. Yeah. Um, And President Nixon and his administration's public reaction to the shooting was perceived by many in the anti-war movement as callous. Yeah. Um, The then National Security Advisor, Henry Kissinger, said said the president was pretending indifference. Um, But the Nixon administration initially reacted to this event um, quite insensitively, the press secretary referred to the deaths as a reminder that when dissent turns to violence, it invites tragedy. When he talks about that, it, it's saying as in that the students basically, it's their fault. Yeah, 
um, is is what he was he was saying. I mean, what an arsehole. Yeah. Well. And I mean, the families that. obviously um, with this. I mean, it wasn't just left at that. There was there was obviously legal action against the guardsman that was that was then sort of you know an appeal against the charge was set against them and they kind of settled for about 600 and something thousand pounds yeah. but that was the, the money that would cover the legal fees for trying to take action against yeah, them in the yeah, first place first so place, yeah. it was a real piss poor response to something that should just never have happened and what what jerry from devo would go on later to say was um because he was there on the campus screen when the national guard arrived and he describes it um, of how they knew that something was about to go down, so they tried to get away by running up the hill to find that um, their exit was blocked by the National Guard who were waiting too, that they were trapped and surrounded. And he says, I saw somebody in charge yelling at these two lines of National Guardsmen, and then he made a hand gesture. This is when they started to shoot. He said he saw someone next to him go down heard screaming and was paralysed with fear and confusion. Oh, he was just 20 years old. Yeah, it's horrendous. And, it? uh, you know... Well, weren't two of his friends shot dead? Um, yeah, this, is, this yeah. is what he goes on to say. Basically, he knew two of the four that were that were shot dead. Um, I've said it often, and I mean it, but I don't think there would have been Devo if it wasn't for the Kent State. Without the trauma and the red pill changeover, I would have gone, I would have gone down a completely different path in life. Mm-hmm. All I can tell you is that it completely and utterly changed my life. I was a white hippie boy and then I saw exit wounds from an M1 rifle at the backs of two people I knew. Two of the four people who were killed were Jeffrey Miller and Alison Krauss were my friends. We were all running our asses off from these motherfuckers. It was total, utter bullshit. Live ammunition and gas masks. None of us knew. None of us could have imagined. They shot into a crowd that was running away from them. I stopped being a hippie and I started to develop an idea of devolution. I got real, real pissed off. So, you know, this this was the start of of a change of attitude with, with a lot of people at that at that time. I mean, you know, you even you even saw sort of violence with protests in, in the UK in the seventies yeah. and things like this. And it was a real sort of change of, of attitude. I remember reading about him giving up his hippie ideals after yeah. this, because things like, you know, Freedom, justice, and peace, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And kind of yeah. So, so the name Devo comes from the concept of devolution, so de evolution, and the band's related ideas that instead of continuing to evolve, mankind has actually begun to regress, as evidenced by the dysfunction and herd mentality of American society. So, Devo as band, they consider themselves more artists than musicians. Much of their and actually Jerry was was studying art. He wanted to be an artist. It was never his um, ambition at the, the you know before Devo to to be to be in a band. It was to be an artist. So yeah. he he took that as did you know his fellow bandmates, and they created something that was really quite unique. Much of their concept is. Um, portrayed in their videos actually if you go on youtube you can you can take a look at some of the crazy pioneers of music video weren't they absolutely um and it shows them dressed alike going through robotic motions to indicate that people have lost their individuality Mm -hmm. and um it's quite spooky actually a lot of their stuff because you know the internet hadn't been created at that that point there wasn't any such thing as data entry and and you know um people using social media to chat and zoom rather than meeting in person <laughs> and, and all of this kind of you know reliance on on technology so it was yeah 
a, a real sort of glimpse as to what, what things would become. Their music videos are definitely worth checking out, aren't they? I've got a DVD, actually, of, of their videos. I don't know if you've seen it. That you can Have you got it? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I've, in the research, I looked at all of their videos. and Yeah, um, the, the DVD's really worth buying because it's got all of them on there and it's, it's really good. I was just going through YouTube of the stuff that was, was there and then got lost in other <laughs> other videos not related to Devo at all. Oh, it's a classic YouTube hole, yeah. <laughs> but Devo gained fame in 1976 when the short film The Truth About the Evolution, directed by Chuck Statsner, won a prize at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. This attracted the attention of David Bowie, who began to work with the band and tried to get them a record contract and did get them a record contract with Warner Music. And actually, um, Iggy Pop was also involved, but I don't yeah. know what his involvement was. It just no, said I don't know either. he championed them. Maybe he just liked them and did a podcast like us. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so in 1977, Devo asked by Neil Young to participate in the making of his film, Human Highway, released in 1982. The film featured the band as nuclear garbage men. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, I've seen. Have you? Have you? That's that's the DVD that I was talking about. It's got that on it. It's got that on it as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, I need to check that out then. The band members were asked to write um, for their own parts, and Mark from Devo scored and recorded much of the soundtrack. Um, and that would that would actually be the first of many that he would go on to do. So they were quite a multi-talented. Band. And and did you know, Grace, that um, Brian Eno produced their first album? I did know that, actually. I've got their book. It's called We Are Devo. And that, that I read that in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's basically I shouldn't be posing any questions to you. It should be to the. No, I, I learned a, a lot. I learned a lot about the um, the shoot, the Kent uh, State University shootings there. Yeah. So thanks for that, Angela. Very yeah. informative. Well, there you go. Well, their first album was called We Are Not Men. Well, it was like a cue, so it was a question. We are not men, question mark. We are Devo. Um, and there's there's actually a really nice article on treblezine.com that talks about 10 essential albums produced by Brian Eno. Um, so, and, and Devo obviously features in this list. And, and what it says is, Eno's and Devo's, I like that, Eno's and Devo's, <laughs> respective take on futurism couldn't have been more different. Where he had envisaged an evolutionary atmospheric shift, Devo went from the emotionally divorced route with internal malfunction. And apparently they, they didn't, there was, you know, according to some, there was a bit of tension in the studio um, with recording that album and that Devo weren't really that happy with some of the um, compositional suggestions that Brian mm-hmm. Eno was trying to make. And yeah, I suppose, yeah, I mean, who knows what they, they were. But anyway, um, We Are Not Men remains a chilling statement on busy lifelessness um, from the detuning of I Can't Get No Satisfaction to the nerve-rattling sketches of Mongoloid. Um, do you know these songs? course you do yeah jacko homo and too much paranoia's i mean whip it was devo's only hit song that's all that always makes its way onto the 80s compilation uh, cds doesn't it i was gonna say you know i think yeah or any sort of you know teenage kicks yeah punk, yeah like compilation album you'll tend to find devo there but um but yeah but there, there were much more than just that one song and many of their songs have actually been covered by bands from the 90s Oh, such yeah, cool. as Nirvana, 
who covered the B-side of Whip It called yeah. Turnaround. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And there's, um, they've got an actual recording of that, but there's also some really cool um, footage of Nirvana, really early footage of Nirvana at a gig. And it's only had like a couple of thousand views. So yeah. it's one of those things that I don't think you'd discover it if you just typed in Nirvana, but if you did... Devo song Nirvana, you know, it Oh, comes you up. might find it. Is it but on it's, YouTube, it's, is it? Yeah, it's on YouTube. And it's it's a really, you know, before they were fam- small gig, it's it's yeah. really nice to to watch. But so other people that covered Devo as well was Foo Fighters, who did mm-hmm. Girl You Want, and Soundgarden also covered that song. And again, there's recordings of them, but also there's there's them doing it live as well, which you can find on YouTube. And did you know that cool. we were talking about music videos and Jerry actually directed Devo's, his own band's music videos. But did you know that he also directed the video for Foo Fighters' second single, I'll Stick Around? Oh, did he? Yes. That's, good. That's a good little fact. No, I didn't know that at all. In an article on Vice, there's some really great articles about Devo and each yeah. of them actually have something different in there, which is nice, yeah. rather than just the same information regurgitated but there's an article in vice called the truth about devo america's most misunderstood band yeah um and you really get a sense of the band from reading this piece so i do suggest that if you are interested to know more that you check out that article and like with all of the articles that i've mentioned including wikipedia i will put the links in in the show notes for this so you can check them out so through devo's synth heavy sound and driving hooks often saw the band billed as a new wave act. The group occupies a more singular place in pop music's um, trajectory, though, fusing the radical electronic experimentation of Kraftwerk and Bog Moog with punk's wiry intensity, Mm. which I thought was a really nice way to sum them up, actually. Um, And I suppose one, one of the things that people need to remember as well is that their theatrical live shows with, you know, music videos with narratives and their custom merchandise that wasn't just a logo, there was, it was artwork on them, uh, would really be a big influence on artists in the future. You know, shows yeah. like, I'm not saying that Madonna necessarily looked at Diva and copied them or anything like that, but they were actually one of the first groups. So they are performance artists. Performance artists that basically thought of everything from music to stage performance to merchandise and videos and how it all ties together as, as one piece of art. Multi-me- like multimedia art, basically, wasn't yeah, it? Ex- exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, before the likes of Will I Am with his digital yeah. arts exhibitions and who would later go on and do a similar, you know, art exhibitions with electronic music is uh, Brian Eno. I don't know if you've been to any of his exhibitions. I haven't, actually, no. As an intro to their early shows, Devo would play a 10-minute video entitled In the Beginning Was the End. The truth about the evolution, which let audiences know what they were in for. Made in 1976 and directed by Chuck Stutter, it placed a band wearing face masks and uniform boiler suits in various post-industrial locations, set to a harsh analogue synthesizer tones. So it was like deliberately robotic and mm-hmm. kitchen. And they got the famous uh, flower pot hats as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know that I'm. Statler, sorry, Chuck Statler is Statler. his name. I don't know why I was really struggling with that with that name, but um, yes, yeah, so as I say, you know, one hit wonder. I, su- I suppose so to popular culture, yeah. But 
But to dismiss them as, as just that would be a mistake. They were American new wave pioneers. They caught the attention of legends such as David Bowie, Nirvana and the grunge scene and a band that were experimenting in new ways musically and visually and were no doubt before their time. Yeah. Okay, so if, if you've only really heard of Whip It, um, which is a great song. Yeah, no, it is a good song, yeah. I don't think it's my favourite song of theirs. No. Um, and I suppose, I think if you really want to have a a little bit of a glimpse into the variety of Devo, um, I've got some track suggestions for you to check out. Uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, which is a cover of the Rolling Stones. Um, I mean, as they describe it, it wasn't a cover, it was a correction. Yeah, so I didn't know that's how they described it. So they take the song's signature guitar riff and yeah. uh, they change it into being like robotic drum pattern and disjointed um, guitar rhythm. So I suppose it's like a, a comment on I can't get no satisfaction as in, you know, the working force that like we're all robots and, yeah. and bringing that element They They critiqued capitalism in, in yeah. most of their work, didn't they? Yeah. Exactly, and I think this is a great a great example of that. Then there's um, I'd also check out Uncontrollable Urge, then um, Jocko Homo. That's more it, that's for, one of more my for the lyrics than the music. Yeah, that's one of my that, favourites. That one. That is. one. Yeah, and then the day my baby gave me a surprise is a good one, and girl you want, which I think is probably more along the lines of Whip It, perhaps. More... Yeah, because wasn't that isn't that on the same album? I think so, yeah. Because that was like that's what that's eight that's like nineteen eighty, isn't it? Like when the start yeah. is it or just before? No, it's nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I don't have that fact here. But <laughs> so Google, missing, it. Google it. Google <laughs> before it. we tell anyone that it was nineteen eighty. Uh, well, I also it. came across a really good article in um, Ultimate Classic Rock online, and it's it's basically called um, Top Ten Devo Songs, and it it kind of breaks them down just briefly so it's not it's not really it's not a heavy read but it's certainly like a, a really good insight into into those songs musically and and also what they're about so I think you know if you got the time you should you should check those out but yeah absolutely love Devo and I hadn't really appreciated um the full the full background of it like I really didn't know about the um Kent State University massacre yeah um until i heard as i said the um my favorite murder podcast and they just literally touched on it at the end and i was like how do i not know this yeah and um yeah so that that was that's just so disturbing and i suppose that's something that the shift from i wonder what like if they'd been a band and not seen that whether it would have been like the mamas and papas of the 70s Oh, I doubt it, but it's LSD worth and, and hippie <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's hard to imagine them like that, isn't it? Yeah. No, I they, I think Devo would be uh, in my top ten bands of all time. To be honest, really? Yeah, oh. I used to. I haven't listened to them properly for for a few years now, but yeah, I'm really glad that you've talked about them because you've reignited my love for Devo. <laughs> um, Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh is my favourite member. He's such a fantastic artist. I don't know if you've yeah. seen, he's got a book called uh, Myopia and he, no, uh, it. it's all of his uh, like surrealist postcards that he's, it's about, it's lo- lots about Devo and him as well and his career, yeah. but it, yeah, he's such a, he's such a really good artist. It's definitely worth a, you can borrow it. Oh, 
Good. I would enjoy I'd like it. to. I'd really like to. Also, um, a little fun fact about Devo for you that I've just remembered. Um, so they they nearly signed with Virgin Records, I think, didn't they? Or they did sign with Virgin Records. No, I don't think they did. I can't. Anyway, this, that's not really the, the story. The story is that they had a meeting with Richard Branson at some point. I know that much. And I can't remember if they actually went on to sign with them or not. But um, And Richard Branson wanted Johnny Rotten to be the lead singer of Devo. Oh, God. Well, no, nothing against Johnny Rotten, but it is just like, God, oh, so interfering. It's like, you want to sign the band, just sign them. Why are you changing the lead singer? Oh, God. I hope I've got that right. But I remember reading that years ago and thinking, oh, that's interesting. Well, that's, that's Devo in a nutshell. So do listen on Spotify or wherever you stream music. Or, even better, why not buy some music we're playing uh, on our show, I th- I think that is incredibly important. Yeah, given the, the kind of split that that you know smaller artists get on those streaming platforms is is like it's nothing. I'm uh, I'm I'm very glad you've, you've done Devo. I'm chuffed about that. Look look how look how much I'm smiling. I know. I'm really <laughs> pleased I've made your day because I was because when I when I said that I was doing because I wanted to do Devo a few weeks ago. And you saw in the list that I was doing Devo and you're like, you can't do that show without me. Yeah. And it's just taken us a while to get this yeah. sorted. But then you know, I learned that you were a big Devo fan. I thought, oh, shit. No, I learned loads <laughs> there about the uh, the history. So she's that's being plus. polite. No, I did. I did. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> she's, she's, she's watched documentaries, read books, and she thinks I've enlightened you her have. or something. You have about the, the, Kent State, the Kent State shootings. You have. I should... I should have actually just made up a lot of stuff. You could have. You could have. And uh, just watch go, really? <gasps> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to play some new music now. Shall I do that? I think so. Yeah. And then you can do your... Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to play a song called Darling by an artist called Amy Stephen. And I literally discovered her two days ago. Um, via This Feeling, you know the promoters This Feeling who also have a blog and they they do TV shows and stuff. Anyway, they they, they kind of fly the flag for new music and uh, this was one of their, their tracks of the day, I think. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so, so I saw that on Spotify and I thought, oh, I don't know Amy Stephen, I'll check, I'll check her out. And listen to I haven't to uh, heard this one. Really good, really good. And so I messaged her instantly saying, oh, can, I, <laughs> can I feature you? So I've, I've swapped the track that I was going to play to, to another show and, and I've replaced it with this one because I'm quite excited about, about her, actually. Yeah. Um, she's been getting fantastic support, actually, from... And if I say actually one more time, <laughs> I'm going to cut my own tongue out and sign <laughs> the rest of the show. <laughs> She's had fantastic support from the likes of BBC Six Music, Radio X, BBC Radio Merseyside, um, to name just a few. Her music has been described as a harmony-laden gem and reminiscent of the Velvet Underground's poppier moments. She's collaborated with producer, engineer John Withnell, who worked with Coldplay, Rihanna and Elbow. So, you know, she's a skilled songwriter, producers don't tend to just work with anyone Mm -hmm. so um yeah so that just gives you a hint as to the quality of this and I think the exciting thing about her is she's only been writing music for two years and performing for just over one 
which is oh, pretty right, okay. incredible yeah. when you listen to the songs that she's got on Spotlight. Just they just she sounds like such a seasoned pro. Yeah. So this is this is Amy Stephen with Darling. So that was the new single by Amy Stephen called Darling. And uh, yeah, I think it's dead exciting. A bit of a, I don't know, what, what would you what would you get from that? I suppose, I think she reminds me slightly of Courtney Barnett. I don't think they sound the same, but I think there's that kind of just real like acoustic swagger and driving there and yeah. Oh, and just, I'd be happy with that if someone... yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not dreary, dull, over-sentimental acoustic mm -hmm. music, It like guitar music. It's, it's got a bit of attitude there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this, the song is about, um, she says that the song is about the thrill of the chase and falling in love. It's always exciting when a relationship starts and you're not sure what will happen. The uncertainty is what fueled the song writing process and can definitely be heard in the lyrics, which... Yeah, you can you can hear it that in in that, but it doesn't. It's not a twee sounding no. song. Was my point. Good I choice, suppose. which is why I like it. I'm not a fan of twee, so um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. 
Good choice. So, Grace, on to you now. Right then, so... Um, I'm just looking over my notes here. I don't know if I've got quite as much as you have on Devo, so I don't know. It might be might be a short and sweet sweet one this one, but let's see. So right, so I'm going to talk about Wendy Carlos. Now, do you have any prior knowledge? Uh, something about simps? Not really. Yeah, good. Not yeah. really anything further than that. That yeah. Okay, this is which good is, then. Which is bad. So hopefully I yeah. can educate Enlighten you. Enlighten me. Yeah. Right. So. so she was born early 20th century, 1938. So in Rhode Island. Uh, a very musically gifted child. She began piano lessons at the age of six and wrote her first composition age 10. What? Yeah. Age 10? No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <sighs> so she is the woman who brought the Moog synthesizer to the mainstream in the 1960s. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So I've been, I've been looking quite a lot recently on the history of the synthesizer because obviously a couple of episodes ago I did uh, Delia Derbyshire. So it's kind yeah. of a similar similar thing, really. So like, obviously the history of, involves, you know, lots of men. But I just wanted to talk about the women in this, this history because you don't tend to hear about them as much. Classic. No. Um, so, yeah. So as a youngster like Delia Derbyshire, Wendy Carlos showed an interest in physics and music. So 14 years old, she won a competition for a home-built computer. At a local what? at a local science fair. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. How old was she? Fourteen years old. She built yeah, she built a computer. Uh, and what what year was this? This uh so she was born in thirty eight and she was fourteen, so it would have been like fifty two, something like that. Gosh. Yeah. How big were uh, computers were bloody big then? Well, so. I, I, I don't <laughs> I, I tried to look a bit deeper into this and I couldn't find much on it. So if anyone out there has more information on this then please let me know. I've just I've, I've just got an image in my mind of like a really small person and like a, a massive, <laughs> yeah, it, mu- massive, it must have been huge, huge, yeah, boxy TV thing that's that you know that's bigger than her and yeah, it must have been. Now I'd like to uh, I'd like to know more about that actually. So that's where the uh, the Wikipedia input ends. <laughs> so I'll, <laughs> I'll put my. Oh, is that is that the end of your? <laughs> you said that's, it was short and sweet. Yeah, that's it. Night. <laughs> no, that is. I've put. I've really put my research hat on for this one. So that that Wikipedia that's done and dusted now. So uh, yeah. So then she went. So where were we? She was fourteen. Okay. So then she studied composition at Columbia. So this uh, university is. This is where she met Robert Moog. Do you know who Robert Moog is? There's a big clue yes. in the name there. Yes, I do. Go on. I even mentioned his name. Yep. In the Devo thingy. Did you? I just did. Did yeah, you? I, did. I missed that. You weren't listening. Yeah, he was there. So, um, yeah, he was the, the guy who made the, the Moog. Yes. The, the, yeah. Yep, the Moog synthesizer. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, synthesizer. There you go, <laughs> the Moog thing. <laughs> yes, so she was encouraged by her composition professor to seek him out, so she must have been an exceptional student, really. So... So Robert Moog, he was an American engineer and pioneer of electronic music, founder of the Moog synthesizer. So the Moog synthesizer is considered a, like a commercial synthesizer, um, mm-hmm. which made its debut in 1964 and went on to de- influence the development of popular music, as we all know, or may not know. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's listening. Um, so, yeah, uh, Wendy Carlos and Moog had a lifelong friendship. Um 
she couldn't afford to buy a MOOC herself because they were, you know, really expensive back in the day. So they had this arrangement where she would record pieces of music using the MOOC to, like, I guess, showcase the capabilities of the instrument. And then okay. in return, I think he would give her one at a reduced rate. I don't think he uh, <laughs> gave it her for free. I've, I've read something about that. So, yeah, gave it a, at a reduced rate. So... It's interesting because this collaboration was quite important in the development of the instrument because some components of the synthesizer were built especially for her. So the early, oh. the early Moog was monophonic, but she wanted to create chords. So Robert Moog created this component, apparently, which then triggered chords. And apparently she suggested as well that he in, in, introduced touch sensitivity to the instrument. So that I think I feel like that shows like she wasn't just important in the sense that she popularized the instrument, but she actually was involved in the development of the instrument as well. Yeah. Um, which I found quite interesting. So, yeah, in 1968, she recorded an album using only the Moog and it's called Switched on Bark. Have you ever heard this album? No, I'm so looking this up now. Yeah, have a look. So years ago, I was at... Um, this like junkyard sale thing back in Tamworth. And I found this album in a pile of old uh, LPs. And I remember thinking it looked really interesting and I bought it and I played it at home. I was like, what is this? This is really, really good. And yeah, it turned out to be Switched on Bark, um, released in 1968. That, yeah, I've not seen that cover before, but yeah. If you go on Spotify and Google switched on bark, right? You get switched on classics, which it's the most incredible. Uh, <laughs> when did this come out? Uh, 68, this came out. Yeah, I was about to, I was about to say 70s, but yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So it's essentially like... Very name, groovy looking. Yeah, it's, it's a strange album. It's essentially um, an album of Bach's compositions arranged for the Moog. Um, and it's considered now the first musical masterpiece for the synthesizer. So this is kind of like the the moment Moog went mainstream. So like synthesizers were used in experimental music before this point. Um, So some facts about the album. It was the first classical album to platinum in America. Bloody hell. It remained number one in the classical album charts for more than three years, and it even peaked at number 10 in the US Billboard chart. So it did it did really well commercially. Yeah. Um and it won three Grammys as well. So it did really, really well. Um but it's it's interesting because at this point a lot of people saw the Moog as like an abomination to the world of music, really. I think that was like the classical music traditionalists who were saying that. Yeah. So yeah, to a lot of people it was just a weird new sound and didn't really count as music. But the- Well they just with with people like that, I often just think as in, well, don't listen to it then. Like, why yeah. are you getting upset? Yeah, like, you don't. You can listen to your classical records or, you know, old school styles of things and anything new that comes out, just don't listen to it if it offends your ears. Yeah, it's a bit so, punk, I suppose, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. This album and they couldn't, they couldn't cope with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah, so in fact, talking about that, that the, not, not everyone seemed to... Uh, seem to like it there was an article i found in the guardian um that was about a film that's about robert moog i haven't seen the film i I don't know if you've seen it no um so apparently in the film he talks about this moment where he's being interviewed robert moog 
and yeah. it doesn't sidebar who actually in the article and the interviewer leans in and says to him tell me Mr Moog don't you feel guilty about what you have done like he's destroyed music <laughs> forever <laughs> so I tried to That's find that so dramatic I tried to find more on that but I couldn't so if there's a clip out there that I uh, need to watch then uh, yeah send it my way so mixed reception but for a lot of people, it did inspire them to go out and buy one. So the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, mm. uh, after hearing this album, experimented with it. And you're like this one, Angela. So uh, Giorgio Moroda said it was one of his earliest and deepest influences and that it inspired him to start playing the synthesizer. And so uh, his production of Donna Summer's I Feel Love, yep. everything is performed on a Moog on that track. And that was inspired by the uh, switched on bark. So yeah, That's... nice little connection to Borgai there. Do you want to tell? Well, yeah, do you want to tell everyone because... why? Well, yeah, because that song. So we've got a song called um, "Is This Love," and it's a response to Donna's Sum- Donna Summer's "I Feel Love." So hers is about obviously being euphoric in a club mm-hmm. and ours is more about the next morning waking up going oh <laughs> yeah hang on a minute yeah <laughs> oh i've made a bit of a mistake here where's my shoes um yeah um, yeah and it's it's got arpeggiators it's got like amazing synth sounds in there stuff and actually this is really nice to know that it where it actually came from because i hadn't really thought about Mug. Or yeah, yeah. I thought you might I mean, like that little connection there. Before that, so I do, I do like that. That was just that for you, that one. And I didn't, I didn't know that was all on on the Mug. Yes, apparently so, according to the article that I read earlier. So I've got all my references this week. By the way, I've been really good. I've kept them all, so I'll sling them over so you can put them on the podcast if anyone wants yeah. to uh, check any of this. So yeah, so up to this point, I haven't really mentioned much about her personal life. So Wendy Carlos is a trans woman. Um, okay. And she actually began hormone treatment the same year that Switched On Bart was released. So the album is released under her dead name, which is Walter Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, so the success of this album actually allowed her to afford gender reassignment surgery. Wow. I mean, that's that's incredible in the sense of um, that was probably quite early for those operations. Yeah. And the expense of that yeah. must have been absolutely huge. Yeah. So I thought that was quite. I thought that was quite nice. I was. I feel like. Yeah. I know it made me. It made me well up a little bit. Yeah. That's. But oh, you know what? I'm really kicking myself because I was going to do Donna Summer. Oh God! Can you imagine? Tied so incredibly well. Well, when I when I was doing when doing the research and I saw Donna Summer's name, I thought Angela should do her next time. Oh, never mind. Next time yes so yeah paid for the surgery but it's quite sad though because like a tr- well really sad because during this time in her life she lived quite reclusively so in a way like she was mm. experiencing all this success from this album but was who- hiding who she really was and couldn't really enjoy it which is really sad and it took her a yeah. long time to publicly come out which I'll, I'll get to in a minute so there was um actually you know what I'll go straight on to that now so she did eventually come out in 1979 and she was one of the first public figures to do so. Um, in an in- so she came out in an interview with Playboy magazine, of all places. Um, it's quite a nice quote 
from her on the issue of her gender, which is sort of bittersweet. She says, the public turned out to be amazingly tolerant or, if you wish, indifferent. There had never been any need of this charade to have taken place. It had proven a monstrous waste of years of my life. Which I thought was sad in a way because obviously, you know, she'd been living with this secret. But at the same time, it was really nice that she felt so accepted. Well, I think that's incredible that she did feel so accepted because it really wasn't something that was accepted at that time. So that's just so lucky for her that she was surrounded by people that... I thought that, yeah. That didn't... that that didn't care and didn't mm-hmm. judge her because, you know, as as we know that um well, coming that up. really, really even even now there's still a lot of judgment on Well you on hear that, all these but... horrendous experiences that people have yeah. when they come out and it was really nice actually to read one that was not easy at all, but you know, but for once there was no, you know I just think it's that's quite a lovely story in the sense that her talent and I mean, obviously, whenever you work and you want to have something done, that's what's going to pay for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But just as in from obviously not really being recognised, I suppose, as such for at the time, the importance of her work with Moog yeah. and all of this and, and not even being able to afford mm-hmm. to buy one. Yeah. Um, you know, from, 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 from that. going from there to then finally having enough money to become the person that she wants to be yeah. who she who she is inside but just wasn't yeah. in the right body yeah um i just think that's that's really lovely well that's what really drew me to this story because not only was she ridiculously talented but there's there's all this stuff in her personal life going on as well and i thought it was like well an inspirational story um <laughs> sorry sorry I, I, as i'm just welling up well, right? it, <laughs> it just it actually really made me trouble because your door it, it almost reminded me of like um was it in scream or something like that where they're doing like a I kind don't know. of you know what? Um, seen horror film thing and the door opens and the, 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 <laughs> so just comes in and just kills me grace grace <laughs> turn around <laughs> but it was it was it was Celia with a glass of wine. Yeah, so that's it's all right. right. Panic over. <laughs> <laughs> so, where was I? Right. Okay. So, back to the switched on bark success. So, this led to three high-profile soundtracks that she was that she that she wrote. There was The Shining. <gasps> no way. Yeah, A Clockwork Orange and Tron, which I haven't seen. Oh my god, I can't even breathe. Really? Yeah. She How wrote the I... she wrote the music for those. So I, I was having to listen to these soundtracks earlier. I was all I was already really familiar with the Clockwork Orange because I loved the music from that. Um, but the Shining and Tron, I don't really listen to. But yeah, she's uh, yeah. Can you imagine my little face all those years ago when I found out the composer was a woman? I was like, gosh, yeah. It's just yeah. Well, I mean, I know, I know I sound like really musically ignorant, but I didn't I didn't know that. But it's just I think it is just one of those things, which is why I like this podcast mm-hmm. because. We all know, or a lot of us would know, the music from those those films, but not necessarily have looked up who had written them or literally be sitting at home, listen to them, and become a fan of that yeah. that composer. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. She... So, so yeah. So discovering some some little gems. Yeah. Like that. So um, yeah. So there's there was a there's a synthesized version of Beethoven's Ode to Joy in that soundtrack. I don't know if you're that familiar with it or know that one, but apparently that led that track led to the development 
by Carlos and her creative partners of a new mm. of a new vocoder, which was created specifically to get the sound she wanted in that track. So again, she's you know not only involved in the development of the synthesizer, but all sorts of weird and wonderful electronic instruments. Oh, I'll have to. Um, I, 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 Julia's got her headphones on now to, to kind of cancel us out, so she can't hear what we're saying. But she she loves the Tron sound. Oh, does she? So I wonder. Um, I wonder if she knows. Yeah. Um, well, there was the remake, yeah. wasn't there? That Daft Punk did yeah. the soundtrack for. I think because I, I read earlier something about them being trying to stay sort of true to the original soundtrack. So mm-hmm. they were quite influenced by Wendy Carlos when creating yeah. that. I think that's right. Um, yeah, no, that is, that is right. There's the two. But yeah, but I mean, for both, because she, she really likes that sort of stuff. So, um... so yeah, we're coming to the end of Wendy Carlos now. So yeah, by the mid... So after the movie was popularised by Wendy Carlos, obviously other manufacturers started to enter the field. And then by the mid-70s, there was loads of analogue synths knocking around. And then... We get the golden ages over by the 80s with the arrival of digital synthesizers. Uh, but she went on to make new music, I think. I don't, to be honest, I don't know much about this period. I didn't, I didn't uh, research as much into that bit. But she's got a website that's worth checking out where she's got all of her projects on there. WendyCarlos.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a 25-year anniversary uh, release of Switched on Bark. So she re-recorded the album, which apparently took, are you ready? One yeah. and a half years to produce and 3,000 hours were invested in the, into the project, according to... Really? Yeah, so it's a lot, isn't it? It feels that long when you're in the studio that... sometimes, but it's a lot of... That's a lot of well, work. I su- well, I suppose... You, no, I mean, look, that is a lot of work, but I suppose if it's a case of... If, if you took into consideration with our album, and I'm not saying that we are anywhere on the level of um, <laughs> Wendy here yeah. at all, but, um, you know, six months worth of writing and then we split recording over a few I guess months. so. I think... With the, and that was considered quite quick. Yeah, I guess so. Know? I guess so. I think um, she means from the point where it was ready to to go if you know what I mean oh well yeah but okay. yeah I know what you're saying it does take a really no, long it does, time it does yeah. look yeah I, yeah it does it does sound like a lot but that's wikipedia so don't don't uh take my word for it on that one so yeah <laughs> but apparently the moves only used once on the record the rest is on modern synthesizers which is a bit of a shame but yeah that's on the list of things to listen to during lockdown um, mm. so yeah that's that's Wendy Carlos really there's a nice little YouTube video for any geeks out there like myself who are interested. There's, um, you, it's called uh, Horizon, Wendy Carlos. It's a BBC Radio 6 music uh, show from like okay. 1989. And you can watch her build the sound of a xylophone. So she's using her synths to, to create this sound. Um, I, won't, I won't give you any spoilers, but yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> If you're interested in that sort of thing, definitely give it a watch because it's yeah. I got I sort of got into analog synths at one point. Have I showed you my little uh, Korg analog synthesizer? Yes, you did. I think did did you or um, I've, I, I, I think, think I've confused. I've told you about it before, but we've you've told you've told me about it, but we've never used it. But yeah, so no. it's it's interesting having like you know messed around with that sort of thing myself. It's interesting to watch an expert do it. So quickly as well, it's mad how quickly she creates the sound. 
Um, anyway, this has been Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles, and thank you so much for listening. Um, we've said it before, there, there are people from all around the world that are tuning in, and we would really love to hear from from some of you, all of you, whoever is listening, um, to just let us know what you think. Uh, try and be polite. Um, but even if, you know, even if you're not, it's fine. It's just nice to know who who's actually tuning in and what else you're listening to, yeah, that's, yeah. actually. You might not have a story idea, but you might have discovered something quite cool that you think we should listen to or be able to answer some of the questions on my um, getting confused with MIDI controllers. Yeah, that's true. Best one to get. Tech support. Tech support <laughs> would be welcome for, for this, as would be someone who, if they wanted to produce and edit the show would be amazing <laughs> so i don't i don't have to um that would be great anyway so yes do email us at uh, rockpoprambles at gmail.com or please do come over to social media we are bug eye band on twitter and bug eye music on facebook and i suppose that's that's it for another week it is. Thank you for uh, Any... another good uh, episode, Angela. I enjoyed myself. I thank don't know about anyone you, else, Grace. but I enjoyed well, I think, it. I think the other band members, because uh, we're on Zoom, and so I think they might be waiting for me to admit them because we're going to have band drinks over over Zoom this, this evening. Did you know that this is recording? Well... Yes, no, as in we're the, recording the, a podcast. No, the Zoom is recording, I mean, sorry. Not the, yeah, it's back up. Oh, it's back I up. see. I wondered what that was all about. I've only just noticed that. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, sh- I totally should have just said, really? <laughs> he was recording. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I'd clicked it by accident. I was like, I didn't, know, I didn't even know no, you could do no, that. No, I was just recording it as a, as a, as a backup. Uh, just in case. Nice. Something went horrendously wrong with, with uh, Logic Pro that I'm using. Okay. Although I should be using um, audit. Why am I even talking about I don't know. This? this is not just interesting We're just anyone. killing time. <laughs> I, think, I think we are, aren't we? Okay. We're killing time. Well, you... Anyway, okay. I will end this now. So thank you very much to everyone. And uh, I've been Angela. I've been Grace. The two keys. Gracey two keys. And uh, good night wherever you are. And stay safe. And uh, stay two metres apart. Yep. and um, put, put your masks on, wash your hands. Yeah, don't rub your face no. or anyone else's. Uh, yeah, that's covered it, I think. Yeah, I think so. Okay, over and out. <laughs>